Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. And most of all, as we go through this passage, I want you to ponder on those words that we just sang together, um, where he, it, it says, death is crushed to death. What a, what a magnificent turn of a, a phrase, a theological uh, term where it talks of the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what that means for us, the power of the cross, Son of God slain for us, what a love, what a cost, we stand forgiven at the cross. What does it mean that we stand forgiven? That's, that's the big question. Ultimately, where's the application in that for us, and we're going to be back to that as we go through this account today in, in the Word of God. For a little over a decade, uh, my wife Connie and I were pastoral associates for Mission to the World, the missions arm of the Presbyterian Church in America. Now, what a pastoral associate uh, couple does is they uh, go to a country, and our country we were assigned was England. Um, it was tough duty, and yet uh, they had had a hard time matching up a, a couple, and so they asked us if we would consider that. And what we would do is once a year we would go to England, we would go and visit the various church planters, missionary couples there in in uh, the ministries that were affiliated with our denomination. The purpose of our visit was to encourage them, to counsel with them, to uh, advise, to, to be friends to them, to be uh, a pastor to them. Now, they face a lot of challenges. And... We were, uh, went through some training before we began that ministry, and they talked about the various kinds of challenges that uh, people face on the mission field. Uh, you know, it's everything. First of all, it's everything we face, but it's uh, things like finances, housing, schooling for children, homesickness, uh, health issues, adjustment to the culture, and uh, a lot of surrounding issues in that. But do you know what the number one reason, the number one reason why missionaries leave the field, the number one reason in our denomination, and uh, to my knowledge, most mission boards would say this is true across, uh, across the board, the number one reason is relationship problems with your teammates there. It's not conflict with the culture. It's not finances. All this, you know, people leave for various reasons. But the most prevalent one are interpersonal problems with team, teammates. Now, that's not new. 
In fact, that's what we're going to see in the passage that I'm about to read to you today. I want you to remember the background of the passage. In Acts 15, we have what is called the Jerusalem Council. Uh, Pastors and elders got together to discuss the issue of really what is salvation. And the emphasis was salvation is by grace, it's not by works, it's not by circumcision or keeping the law or any of the things surrounding that. So they gathered together, uh, they had a big discussion, they had a big argument because some were saying, no, you've, you've got to add all these things to salvation. And Paul and Barnabas, along with others, stood firm on the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the decision was made. Yes, absolutely, we are standing upon what the Word of God says, upon the teachings of Jesus, and that it is by God's grace that we are saved through faith. It's not by works, lest anyone should boast. And then they sent out, uh, Paul and Barnabas and others, to go to various churches and and reaffirm this indeed is the gospel. And we want you to understand that. We don't want you to go astray and be fooled by some of those who are adding to the gospel. Now that's the background of this text. So uh, keep in mind these, these two, so to speak, main characters, Paul and Barnabas. And then verse 36 of Acts 15. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, this is real life, seeing two who know Christ, who know of his grace, who know of his forgiveness, come to a point of disagreement and even parting from one another. How are we to understand this? Will you show us? Will you teach us? Where is your redemption in this? We need to hear from you. And so we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So let's take a, take a look at the picture of what was going on here, the, the disagreement. You have uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas, and Paul strategizing, said, let's go. We're going to visit uh, the brothers in the city and encourage them. Remember, that's how they would plant churches. They'd plant a church, and then sometime later they would go back and they would encourage them, continue to instruct them, make sure they were on track, and that's what uh, he was suggesting here. And Barnabas says, great, sounds like a good plan. Uh, by the way, I want to take uh, uh, John Mark. Paul says, we're not taking John Mark. He had his chance. We're not taking John Mark. And they, they came into such a disagreement, sharp disagreement, it says that they parted ways. Shocking. <laughs> Here they are. Examples to us of how to do things. Now understand that John Mark was a cousin of Barnabas. So what had happened? Why did he fall out of favor with Paul? Well, back in Acts 13, 13, and we don't have a lot of detail, but here's all it says. Verse 13 of Acts 13 says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to uh, Persia and Pamphylia, and John, that's John, Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. Here they are on their first missionary journey. It's only mentioned in passing, so, uh, you know, any, any details, we're kind of filling them in, we're speculating, but some of the possibilities, if we're going to speculate, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't stake my reputation on any of these, but it could have it been homesickness. He could have said, I, I don't think I'm called to this. It could have, you know, they could have come into some difficulties, uh, immaturity on his part. It could have been illness. We simply don't know. And the Scripture, God saw fit not to save that detail. Perhaps so that that wouldn't really even be the issue. The issue wouldn't be the issue. Was it a good reason or a bad reason? The point is, they're on a missionary journey, and he says, I'm out of here. And he leaves. The one thing we know, because of this passage in front of us, is that it was a bitter disappointment to Paul. And that came to a head when Barnabas said, by the way, I want to take John Mark on the second missionary journey. Look at uh, uh, verse 39. It says, There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Now, let me remind you in terms of inter uh, interpretation of books, we, we say this periodically with the book of Acts, it's a historical book. And so what that means, it's a narrative. So what that means is this. Just because something took place in that book, if it's a historic book, you don't say, well, they did that, so I should do that too. 
That's not necessarily your example. There are many things that take place in time and space and history that we ought not to take as an example. And by the way, I would say this is one of those. But if anything, one thing this does, at least for me, is it continues to prove the veracity of the Scripture itself. You know, if we were going to uh, make up something and try to get people to follow a faith, the Christian faith, the tendency would be to cleanse it, to make it look like it always works and it always works perfectly, so you want to be a part of this. And when we see instances like this, we, we ought to just say, God, thank you. Thank you for being so honest with us that we see that these these men that you chose to use, they're flawed also. What a great God you must be to be able to use people with petty opinions. So here's this sharp disagreement. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark and would not give in. Sometimes one of the the problems within churches is not so much the action or the stand, but how, how it takes place. And here we see these professing Christians convinced they're both believers, but they come to this this disagreement, a strong disagreement, and we've got we've got to be reminded that we in the Christian life continue a battle with sin. We absolutely continue in that battle. Once you come to Christ, you know, we, we sang the power of the cross. We are freed from the bondage of sin, but we still struggle with living in a world where there is the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's not the old man inside of me. Some people want to blame it on, oh, that's the old man. He just rose up again, and, uh, you know, he's hanging out here inside me and, and, and blaming it. Well, no, that doesn't fit with what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But we can be sure that if work is going on to advance the kingdom, Satan's going to attack. He's going to attack in one way or another. And here, just in chapter 14 and 15, we see two attacks. We see attacks on the teachings, doctrine, an attempt for heresy to come into the church. And what does God do? He uses, he uses his uh, uh, leaders in the church to clarify the doctrine and reaffirm the doctrine, and he overcomes that attack of Satan. Right on the heels of that, we have a personality conflict that Satan loves to distract his church. If something good is going on in God's kingdom, you can be sure that Satan will attack in one way or another. So we're reminded that we still live in a fallen world. 
But we need to be reminded as well that when we see fallenness in this world, it gives opportunity to see God's grace overcome. So look at the nature of this disagreement. Verse 38, uh, Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had uh, not gone with them to the work. Now, it's important to understand this disagreement. This is not a disagreement over biblical principle like we just saw over the gospel itself. If it, anytime there's a disagreement over biblical principle, you better take a stand and take the, take the stand upon the Word of God. And that's what they did. This is not that kind of a disagreement. It's a disagreement of strategy. It's a disagreement of judgment. Which way would be better for us to go? In this. Now that's that's significant. And you know, as I as I looked at this, I can I can see both sides. Let me give you the arguments from both sides. Okay, I'm I'm Barnabas. Well, come on, Paul, let's give John Mark another chance. He was young. He made a mistake. Haven't you ever made a mistake? What about grace you always talk about? And after all, he is my cousin. Doesn't that count for anything? How am I going to answer my aunt and uncle if I leave him behind? Let's talk about grace. Now, that makes some sense, doesn't it? Now go the other side. I'm Paul speaking. John Mark's a quitter. He's a defector. He showed himself to be weak. He had his chance, and he left when everyone else persevered. I'm sure there's a a place for him, but not on this journey. God's work is too important for it to be messed up by a weak link going on this trip. You take him if you want. But this trip won't be dragged down by him. Can you kind of see both sides? I mean, I think you can argue from either side and depending on your mood or who you're tempted to, to follow or you're leaning, you could buy into either argument here. So that's, that's the nature of it but they simply weren't able to come to an agreement. And so they parted. Let's look at the short-term results. Verse 40, the church was involved, actually. Verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now, here's what we see. Even though we can see both sides, I think what we're seeing here is that the, the church actually, in a sense, took sides. Didn't condemn Barnabas, but they commended these brothers, Paul and Silas. Paul wasn't perfect. I'm sure he didn't handle it perfectly, but he was an apostle of God. 
and the church at least submitted at that point. So in, in spite of that, the work continues. Verse 41, he went, and, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. These difficulties didn't stop the kingdom work. Paul began his second missionary uh, journey. Uh, Cilicia is uh, in the part of what is today Turkey. It's in the area where uh, Tarsus was. You remember Saul of Tarsus? So it's where Paul came from, and they went back through that area. In spite of Paul and Barnabas' disagreement, God's grace overrules in this. God could have said, okay, Paul and Barnabas, if, if you all can't get along, I'm going to choose two other guys. But he continued to use these flawed, broken vessels. But look at the long-term results also. Because when you, when you look at God's kingdom, you don't just want to look at what works and, and the short-term results. You want to look at the, the long-term results as, as well. They separated, this is verse 39, from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Um, we don't necessarily want to conclude that this split was a, a good thing. That's not what our bottom line is here. But I do think what we can conclude is that in spite of sinfulness, in spite of pride, God continues to move forward His kingdom. And we see the work multiplying. Now, that wasn't the ideal way for it to happen. But now, all of a sudden, instead of there being one missionary team, there's two missionary teams. So here we have... First Presbyterian Church and Second Presbyterian Church, or First Baptist and Second Baptist, and depending on what town that was in, you may go back and you may not want to know the history. Well, how, how in this little town, how'd there get to be two Presbyterian churches? And then all of a sudden you start hearing things like, well, you know, there was this family in, in First Presbyterian Church and this other family, and they... They didn't really get along, so they, they started Second Presbyterian Church. Or, you know, we were going to have, uh, every year we always had the living Christmas tree at Christmas. And so-and-so said we shouldn't have a living Christmas tree anymore, so we started Second Presbyterian. Now we have our living Christmas tree, and things are the way they ought to be or so-and-so didn't get elected, or on and on. You can, you can fill in the blank. We all know of things back in histories of churches that we probably don't want to don't talk about. And yet, God sees fit to still use us. Amazing, isn't it? And let me point something else out, because this isn't really the end of the story, this little passage. John Mark 
is ultimately given a second chance. Barnabas gave it to him, but evidently he matured and he proved himself. One church that I served, um, it was the first church I was a senior pastor in, and I got there and I followed a, a man who had been in the church for 16 years. And I was there for five years, and the whole five years I was there, I heard these stories about this previous pastor. And they went all the way back from when he got there till when he left. Oh, it was time for him to leave. And, you know, and, you know all, every time I heard a story, I thought, well, I guess I'm the next pastor they'll be telling stories on. And so uh, when I did leave, Another pastor came in and uh, was there another five years. Uh, he followed me, and I happened to know the one that followed me, and he said, yeah, I was still hearing uh, stories about Pastor so-and-so, the, the one that was uh, right before me. And you know what happened after uh, his five years after he left? They called my predecessor back, the guy they had told all those stories on. Time and grace has a way of sometimes changing perspectives. And you know what? He stayed there till he retired. And I think he had a solid ministry. Well, we see with Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, there seems to have been resolved differences. I'll just give you some passages there on your outline, but uh, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul mentions Barnabas without really out of any sort of rancor and say that Barnabas, you know, or anything like that. Colossians 4.10, he says, this is Paul, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Isn't that good to hear? Philemon, verse 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. That's what he calls John Mark. 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me for ministry. You see, that's God's grace. I think that's why God continued to use Paul because his grace was working in his life and in his heart, and he was cleansed by God's grace. That's where application comes in, isn't it? Remember? The power of the cross. We're forgiven. How does that impact conflicts you have in your family or in your work or school or in the church? You know, you can't make everything right. You can't cause somebody to reconcile with you, but you can do your your side of things and be right before the Lord. And a believer who handles conflict rightly And by the way, you will have conflict. As long as you live in this life, there will be conflicts. But the believer that 
that handles conflict rightly has opportunity to demonstrate the power and presence of Christ, the power of the cross. He has opportunity to bring glory to God and to build and rebuild relationships. I've seen it and I've experienced it personally when conflict is dealt with in a biblical way, blessing comes to individuals and to the church where it happens. And by the way, if you're visiting with us, <laughs> I always have to say something like this when you, when you talk about church conflict. You don't need to worry. I didn't come pluck this, this out of here because we're having some kind of a conflict here. We have an amazingly unified church. And that's only due to God's protection. But we go straight through the Scripture. And so when we come to passages like this, we will deal with them in in an honest way. We have four children. All of our children are different. And growing up, they had conflicts with each other. Now, overall, they got along wonderfully, and they still do. But you know, you know what brings me great joy? I know it does Connie as well. It's that rare occasion where we have all of them together, and we see them loving each other, and we see them getting along and encouraging each other and counseling each other and, and uh, being each other's friends, that is such a great joy for me. And I have to think that's just a microcosm of how the Father looks at His children and sees them rightfully dealing with conflict and never just letting it go. Not dealing with it like those outside the family would deal with it, with vengeance or grudges, but dealing with it in a proper way. But here's the question. Maybe as I've talked about this, the minute I said conflict, somebody came to your mind or some situation came to your mind I hope it didn't, but maybe it did. What about those situations where I, I know I should deal with it in the right way, but I can't seem to? I just, I just can't forgive that person. I'm sure many of you read the book The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. In that book, she talks about her survival of, in one of the horrible concentration camps in Germany. She's the only one from her family to survive. And she recounts what went on there. She actually made it through the war and continued to serve the Lord. But she does tell a story. She talks about giving her testimony in a church in Munich, Germany. 
where a former guard and one of the tormentors of her and her sister was in attendance in the church when she's giving her testimony. She said, apparently, he didn't recognize me, but I recognized him. As he approached her, and she said, as he walked towards her, her mind went back to the torment that he caused on she and her sister. She said, I could, I could envision the pile of clothes that they made us take off and walk in front of them to the shower and the derision of all the guards, including him, the awful comments that were made as they were mocked, and my sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. That all went through her mind as he approached. She said, he came up to me as the church was emptying, and he was beaming and he was bowing, and he said, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. He said, it is amazing to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. And then he thrust his hand out to shake hers. And she said, I, I who had preached so often the forgiveness of Christ for me and for others, she said, I couldn't even move my arms. But my mind went to vengeance and anger towards him. But she knew it was wrong. And in her mind, she immediately prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive me and help me to forgive him. And she tried. She, she tried to smile, but she couldn't. And she said she tried to raise her hand again, and she, she couldn't even move it. And so she prayed again. And she said, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And she says, as I took my hand and grasped his hand, she said, the most incredible thing happened. She said, from my shoulder along my arm through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And then she says this, And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. See what he's saying? She discovered that she didn't have it within her. It wasn't about conjuring up. It wasn't about feeling forgiveness. It was about Christ in her. 
depending on Christ in her who died on the cross for this one who was a a despicable human being. But she would say, but so am I. And in that, she, like Paul, experienced a freedom to be cleansed by God's grace and to be used in his kingdom. That freedom is ours as well. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for the power of the cross, and it's, it's what was done on the cross, that Jesus finished the work. He paid for our sin. And so, Lord, will you enable Christ in us to help us to show grace towards others, even as it's been shown to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.